We have some great racing this weekend from the Big A, including the Artie Schiller Stake and the Notebook Stakes. If you want to be a new player with Naira Vets, use the promo code REWIND, R-E-W-I-N-D, to get a $200 match deposit bonus. That's R-E-W-I-N-D to get that $200 match deposit bonus. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to episode 63 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is 10 Strike Racing co-founder Clay Sanders. And we go over three races from this past Friday's great racing at the Raiders Cup from Keeneland Racetrack. And some angles that we talk about are how the BC Juvenile finally answered the age-old question of the eye test versus the buyer speed figure. Why you need to start watching out for Munnings on the slop as a top pedigree play. And the new Euro angle of seeing where the trainer spots them in that first race could tell you whether it'll be a sprinter or a router going forward. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this We go back and forth. We go back and forth. Ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Always have it selling. Always have it selling. Always have it selling. Always have it selling. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, someone who I had on the In the Money show late last week. It's co-founding member of Ten Strike Racing, Clay Sanders. How's it going, Spencer? Glad to be here. Glad to have you on. Finally had a blast with you last week. Was trying to figure out who to get on for uh, this week's shows. Obviously, JK and Marshall took care of that with them doing their show tomorrow. So glad I could get you on for this show. Just kind of tell me how your Breeders' Cup was, man. For me, I kind of got my uh, my face punched in on Saturday. Did okay on Friday, but uh, overall, it was kind of a fifty fifty split day for me. I had a I had a good Breeders' Cup. It was kind of a mixed bag. I went to zero in the BCBC. But on Friday, uh, my boss, who I uh, help manage, is uh, stable, uh, won with Aunt Pearl. So that was a nice, as a 20-year dream for him to win a Breeders' Cup race. So I was very pumped about that. And then um, I had a nice little pick four, the the late pick four for a dollar. I think it paid nine thousand. I had a couple other nice hits along the way. And then uh, Marshall hit the uh, win for the BCBC, and we always share you know, interest in each other's tickets, so that was a nice little hit, too. But, uh, you know, I had some good opinions, had some bad opinions as well, but uh, it went well. So let's kind of get talking about your handicapping process. What kind of handicapper are you? Class, speed? I know a lot of people start off with pace, but what for you out of those early pillars or kind of the way you like to start handicapping? So with my uh, – journey as a handicapper started i was a pace speed player i've evolved over time but i still think that is a lot of the basis for things i look at but i get asked that question a lot is what's my handicapping style things i look at and i'm a generalist i like to look at everything i like to look at as much information as i can get a hold of um i i, I take a lot of the pace into consideration, but I like to look at Thurograph, Ragazin, to look at a different number. I look at Timeform US a lot. Um, I like to get as much, my, I'm not as good at looking at races and replays. So I have, you know, look at uh, um, Benny South Street. I have some other friends that are good trip handicappers that will give me some intel there. 
Um, and then I even use some, uh, I use some of the software programs to help them, you know, look at things a little differently. So, and workout reports. So I try to look at everything to give me a good idea. But this, the hard part when you have all that information is trying to decipher what's the most important factor on the horse you're going to pick. But over time, um, I've just kind of narrowed down what things mean a lot to me in different types of races, be it, you know, dirt, turf, route, sprint, and, uh, you know, things that have been successful for me in the past. And that's what I like to go back to. I love the fact that you said you look at everything because I feel like a lot of people, you know, have the uh, motto, you know, paralysis by analysis and to me that can be true but i'm a guy who loves to deep dive races as soon as the friday races were done on friday i was already in the result charts looking at what the buyers were what horses improved you know felt went down in buyer and i just feel that this sport especially if you want to not quote unquote to penny south Street, but get outworked you have to really be adding notes even if you don't think they're prominent in this race Maybe four times, four races down the line, this horse will be on, on turf. And it's good to know that, you know, the turf family is good at, you know, turf sprinting or turf routing. That way, instead of having to do all the heavy lifting for every card, some some cards, yeah, you do a lot of heavy lifting. But it's it'll help you out later on when a horse is, you know, five or six starts into a season. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that helps you develop your game and watching races. And little hints like that can help you on a big score down the road in maybe six months and maybe a year. I mean, Thinking back to um, Paul Matisse when he won the um, NHC, the uh, note I think from Indiana Grand six or eight months earlier that I'm sure he never thought would come back, but you know that's how he won the um, NHC. So you never know doing that work uh, where it'll pay off later. Was there any specific race on the undercard on either Friday or Saturday that you would like thought, okay, this is going to be a solid play of attack? I know for me, obviously everyone's going to be pointing to Nashville, but I kind of found a couple horses on that Saturday undercard. That were interesting. I ended up hitting the exact in that first race, which I think for a dollar paid eleven bucks, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when there's a one to nine shot, I mean that's a really healthy return on investment, I feel. Right. I didn't have strong opinions on Saturday on the undercard. I tried to take advantage of what at that point I thought was uh, potentially a speed bias on the Mott Philly in the uh, sprint mm-hmm. that didn't work out well. She didn't fire at all. She had been training really strong. I was there uh, in person on both Friday and Saturday, and I I saw how the dirt looked like it was playing early on Friday, and Amy's challenge looked like she was going to be loose in that uh, dirt sprint, six-frong dirt sprint. So I did bet her, um, and that, you know, helped solidify what I thought was a bias uh, on the card for, uh, for Friday. For me, looking forward as well, and I want to talk about the bias a little bit, as soon as like the first hopeful races happened on Friday, it had seemed that people were, oh, speed bias, this and that. And don't even get me started with the track records that were broken. To me, a track record, it, it means a lot to some people. Some people, it doesn't mean anything. For me, I fall in that category. A track record is a track record until it gets broken the next time out. The bias, on the other hand, everyone's saying that it made half the horses in the field unplayable. I agree to some extent. Some horses are just, you know, they're going to make their best trip if they're on the lead. Others, you know, who have to come from behind, have trouble with traffic, etc. What were your thoughts on the bias overall? Do you think that these two days now, you have to upgrade everyone coming from behind and downgrade everyone who's out in front? I think once uh, you look at both days, I don't think there was that strong of a bias, at least on Saturday, and I still question how strong the bias was on Friday. I do think you have to keep in mind dirt racing in America, there's always a, a small dirt, a small bias to speed. 
was it any stronger than normal? I'm not positive. Um, and, you know, early I thought maybe it was an inside bias, which sometimes people misread as a speed bias. But uh, I think all in all, it was a fair American dirt track when it's all said and done. I think you go back and look, I think it was an even spread of wire to wire, mid pack and uh, closer. So I, I was quick to jump on the bias, uh, but I, I'm not so sure how strong it was. And I couldn't agree with you more on track records. I think track records, I mean, I think they shouldn't even mention them. I don't think they mean much. The, the weather was extremely warm at Keeneland on uh, Friday. You know, the track was probably tight, but I don't. I think it was more of a case of the weather than it was, you know, them, you know, ironing the track down or whatnot. And for, also, you hear people, oh, they put that the pavers down after the races on Friday. You look at the horses that won, Nick's go, track record. I couldn't even name half the other ones because I wasn't even paying attention to it. And everyone says the super track superintendent has to make the, the racetrack fair. You know, we have other people on social media. These are the fastest horses in the world. They're supposed to be doing this. Yes and no. I'm not right. the biggest guy when it comes to bias, but everyone was so quick to jump on after two races. Then Rocketry wins from dead last. Listen, yeah. I, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. The, the The main matter of the fact is you have to go back through the result charts, and you really have to follow and see what happens. If in all the dirt races, one of the top three horses wins, is it a speed bias? No, it's probably just the fact that, like we had talked about, dirt racing, you need to have early foot. Right, and you save the most ground, and on paragraph, you can be the not run the best figure and uh, win because you you know saved the most ground. One thing I'd give you a little pause on uh, looking too much into that uh, marathon race. You know, mile and three quarter races. I mean, a lot of those speed horses probably don't even want to go that far. But I thought the race that really you know poked the most holes in the speed bias. I think all of us would agree that if there was a true speed bias, I think we would have made um, Whitmore 100 to one in the sprint, and you know he wins for fun. <laughs> You know, I, I find it hard to believe that, uh, and I don't know, how, I don't think that pace was that strong. So that's what, you know, gives me a little pause about calling it a speed bias. Let's talk about some of your favorite angles. Now, obviously, you play a lot of races throughout the year and throughout your career. What are some of your favorite angles, the ones that you just, you know, just kind of always bring that horse, that extra edge above other contenders that you have within a certain race? You know, people that have heard Marshall and I talk a lot uh, on these airwaves, my, my number one play, and I will play it blind most of the time, is seeing a Munnings running on the slop. Uh, I think it's – I have a positive ROI with that angle over my life. Uh, my wife will just bet a blind, too. It it just – they run so well uh, into the slop. And it may be just that they don't run poorly, but a lot of horses do, you know, not care for the – the ground when it's sloppy. Um, I like uh, Kitten's Joys uh, on the soft turf uh, from a sire uh, angle perspective. And, you know, overall uh, angles that I like, you know, I, I play a lot of attention to cutbacks like Andy Sherling talks about. I think a lot of times it's already baked into the price. Um, you know, I like certain trainer angles. You know, there's too many to name. But, you know, I – I don't have too many outside of, you know, a couple of sire plays that I would saw are my pet plays, but, um, you know, those would be the main ones. I love the, f I've, I also huge fan of Munnings as well on the wet track. I think it's probably from you or Marshall saying it on the airwaves that I'm like, Oh, let me look into this. And then I hit like three or four right off the bat. And I'm like, Oh, they're onto something here with this one. <laughs> but I, I find it interesting too. If you go on blood horses, something I, I used to do like once or twice a week, I'd go through and I'd look at the, you know, first crop, stallion numbers, how many winners, et cetera. That's how I ended up getting a lot of Tapature winners a couple of years ago. 
I'm surprised yeah. they don't have stats for, and I get it, there's, you know, sloppy, muddy, and and good tracks as well, but why there isn't yeah. a wet track stallion number? Because I, I would be very interesting. I know now through formulary you can look it up by each sire in each race, but why Blood Horse hasn't made something for wet tracks? Because I'd love to see the numbers. I think it'd be very interesting when you can compare them to Tomlinson's, why this horse has a 230 Tomlinson for the turf, yet is in the top 10 for winners over the year. Yeah, well, I, I agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I actually kind of like that they don't because it allows the people to do the homework to have those angles. Mm-hmm. We've done some database work, uh, downloading uh, results and, you know, track, um, you know, how they, I think the one thing that, is, that gives you a little bit of pause is I think tracks aren't as consistent about what they call sloppy, good, fast. Uh, muddy, but um, it allows those people that have done a little bit more extra homework to, you know, dig in and find, you know, we've been bragging about money, but there's, you know, some other under the radar stallions that are pretty good um, with slop. So, I mean, those are, you know, I agree, but, you know, uh, it's good for those that do the work. What do you say we jump in and get some work done of our own? The first few races from Breeders' Cup Friday, race number seven, going one mile on the turf course. It was the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. What'd you kind of like in here? I thought there were some very, very key morning lines that were just off. I was surprised Mutasebek was the morning line favorite. I agree. So this race, you know, when you're looking at the Breeders' Cup races, especially the turf races, you have to rely a lot on intel from europe and you know people that watch races over there because it's just really hard for the everyday american handicapper to make heads or tails over a lot of the form there um i know historically you know a lot of my data shows that the euros do better than in this race than the philly race and uh some of the intel from uh people i talked to that this the euros were stronger on the boy side than the girl side in the two-year-old races so that made me point, you know, sharpen looking at the, the Euro horses. I was um, mainly focused in on uh, the two new mandate and the five Cadillac. The one thing that bothered me about new mandate was the horse had gotten a little rank in some of his races uh, overseas. But, you know, Detori takes this call and won three in a row. I liked that the horse had won at a mile. One flag I always have on these two-year-old races with Euros is I do not like the horses stretching out the five or six furlong horses. That never works. But horses that have seven furlong or million or one-mile form always do better. So I, I really keyed in on the two and five. I thought, you know, in every American uh, race, turf or dirt, I'm always worried about loose speed. So that uh, pointed me a little bit toward Wesley Ward on the A to Outdoor. Um, this was one of those that was uh, stretching out. Wesley Ward numbers are very poor stretching out, but I just was worried about this horse getting loose if the track um, was speed favoring. So those were the three I keyed around. Uh, did use Battleground a little bit, just respecting Aiden and Ryan Moore and a little bit of that form, but that's kind of where I was. I had done a kind of like class ranking slash trainer stat for uh, Friday for PTF for the uh, Breeders' Cup package. And just some stuff I had kind of already known. Aiden O'Brien over the last two, year, two years was 0 for 48. And I think last five was like 6 for 53. So I knew that, you know, obviously Ryan Moore, they were going to take money. DeTore obviously always seems to take money, which made me a little bit nervous about new mandate. Also the fact that it seemed to be everyone's kind of wise guy horse going into the race. Right. Uh, the, the first notion I had made as well was that the Euros were obviously better than the Americans. I ended up on the number one steal away, that grade one win last time out. Alibet over heavy ground, I think was, 
I had seen the horse had won other times as well, which didn't make the heavy ground to me seem so much of a problem. Some other horses I had also liked in here out to door. I think when you scratch out and then you see what Golden Pal did the uh, the race or two before, that was always you know going to be a positive. Kentucky Downs form, I think, going into the fall, Keeneland meet showed very very good numbers, and the fact that this one could run on either soft or firm ground was very interesting. One of the Americans I did not want at all was the number 11, Gretzky the Great, for Tyler Gaffney and Mark Cassie. The grade one summer, it was a nice win, but nobody had come out of that race to run well. And for me, being more of a class handicapper, I love looking at that kind of stuff. If no one can even come out and win an allowance, well, how strong really was that grade one? Everyone just sees the grade one and thinks, oh, my God, what a big class drop. Well, really, it might have even ended up being almost like an allowance race at that point. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, when, you know, it's poorly posted. Um, I don't think the summer's been a very good prep for this uh, race uh, as well. So I, I was against that horses, just like you were. Um, one other point that I picked up by a sharp Euro player was to when you're looking at these two-year-olds when they're uh, coming over, is the first race in the debut of these Euro horses tips the hand of the trainer, whether they think the horse is a sprinter or a router for down the road. So horses that are six furlongs and less, they think they're a sprinter. And any of the Euros that have come over to one in the Breeders' Cup, none of them have debuted at six furlongs or less. So that was another little thing that uh, made pointed me to the um, new mandate in Cadillac. So just a little tidbit for down the road for everyone. That's a great fact for everyone who's listening. Uh, We get back a little bit to Matassa Beck. I just – the fact that this horse was the favorite made me want to play this race – and just when you look at it overall, dead closer last time, fast fractions from time form. Obviously, the graded stake form was there. Obviously, it hit third in the hopeful, even though losing by 12 to Jackie's Warrior, who everyone thought was unbeatable later on in the card. The class was there. Right. I just don't see how, on a quote-unquote speed-favoring dirt and what even some said turf track, this horse was going to close from and win. So I 5-1, to one, listen, anything over 4-1 to one to me is a great price because it pays $10. But just seeing this horse... At the five one more, and just stay too. What happens when you see a horse like that in the morning line? Stay at that. Does it make you uh, nervous if you don't like the horse, or how, how do you feel about morning line horses that don't really take that drop? You know, I think you, you can take it a couple ways. Um, I like to see, you know, if it's connections that are popular, you know, winning connections like a top pleasure here. I and I'm on the horse. I'd like to see um, the the money come in because that shows that the barn is uh, positive. You know, these, these barns talk very rarely in these top barns. Do you see the, the, the horse that's favored and doesn't take money? Do they win? It just seems um, sometimes you'll see one that gets lost. That was, you know, a 10 to one and might go off at 15 to one, didn't take money and win, but rarely do you see a favorite from a big, big outfit and they go backwards. Uh, do, do, do they win? What was your wagering style in this race? What what did you have started or what did you have already going? As far as wagers? Yep. So in the BCBC, uh, I played New Mandate and Cadillac uh, into um, a couple of the Phillies and the Juvenile Phillies in the next race. Um, in my picks, uh, I you know didn't go as deep as I probably should have here. But I think I made two and five as A's and eight and nine as B's. And, you know, I, I didn't play C's. I, I didn't have a strong opinion 
Um, I probably should have added a, a handful of C's here, but that's kind of you know how I approach the race. For me, it was the number one seal away, hoping that it wasn't just the heavy ground that helped this horse win a grade one by eight. It's a little win place show across the board for that. Let's see who wins the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf right now. They're off in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. There goes out a door. Out of door, right out for the lead. Fire at will is there toward the inside. Then Cadillac and New Mandate, who's down toward the inside, but out of door will have the early lead. Gretzky the Great going to move up on the outside to challenge Fire at will for that second position. New Mandate is fourth in behind that pair. Abiko is fifth toward the outside. Public Sector six back toward the rail. Mutazabek three wide in seventh outside of Cadillac and eighth. Barda is ninth. Battleground is wide off the turn. In tenth, Sealaway is eleventh. Devil Walla twelfth. Go Atletico thirteenth. The Learjet is 14th and last 23.64 seconds the time for the opening quarter. Out of door, the leader, midpoint of the back stretch, and out of door leads at three quarters of a length. Gretzky the Great, second by just a length as they head for the far turn. Fire at will is third. Abiko is in fourth. New mandate between horses fifth. Public sector looks for room to the inside sixth. Mutazabek going to be four wide onto the far turn. From seventh, Cadillac is in eighth. Battleground trying to work through some traffic in ninth. Go Atletico is tenth. They're midway on the final turn and back up front out of door continues to lead Gretzky the Great out of door leads at a length and a half Gretzky the Great second Abiko third to the outside fire at will is in fourth Cadillac is fifth Mutazabek and seal away still far back nearly 10 from the front out of door two length lead fire at will moves up on the outside Gretzky the Great is in third Cadillac fourth battleground is fifth on the outside fire at will puts ahead in front from out of door in second battleground then Cadillac to the inside fire at will to the front and drawing clear for Ricardo Santana Jr. in the juvenile turf. And the number seven, Fire at Will, gets it done with a preposterous 62-40 and a buyer of 90, nicely improved off that last effort. Thoughts on the winner, Clay? So I think we can learn a lot from this race from a handicapping perspective. Um, I didn't like Fire at Will because of his last race i thought he was loose in a really slow uh it was a firm turf but they go 50 and chain for the half um makers not had a lot of success in any of these two-year-old races uh that you know i just thought that it would have a hard time but i didn't think he would make the lead because of the eight and he would have to outkick the euros i was against but the lesson to learn here is if you can get you know mike maker in a, a turf route especially <laughs> The horse had the best two-turn buyer figure in the race. Mm-hmm. You're getting 30 to one. I think it was 37 to 37 to one at two minutes to post. Even I was against this horse, but if you would have told me, "Are you against this horse at 30 to one?" I said, "Absolutely not." And you know, I was there in person, so you're not paying as close of attention. But you know, when some of these horses get lost on the board because of you know some of the euros and whatnot but you get mike maker who can win at big odds you know i think you're supposed to take advantage of it. i think another thing that i didn't mention was I, I didn't like that they didn't bring the jockey from the last race i did it didn't show as much confidence as i would have liked you know put santana up who seems to be riding a lot for maker in kentucky but that said at that price i mean should have been a c could have easily been a B with that nice buyer last time. The horse had improved in all three starts of his uh, career and just one that uh, I made a mistake not including. I can't agree with you more. I love the fact with the 80 last time out buyer. The firm turf is the main thing for, for me that I'm just like, how could I have skipped over this? I know I like the arrows, but a lot of them have the question marks. Will they like the firm turf? Will they like this? Will they like that? And obviously, Matasabek 
off the board. You know, didn't run at well at all. Finished like towards the rear. When you look at the buyers, just went from a six, a seventy-five to a sixty-nine. Fire at will goes from an eighty to a ninety. The horse had shown three improving races. The debut race six by four was a debut. Maker thinks, okay, we'll put him in. We'll put him in a stake. Washes off. Then they put him in the pilgrim. Wins again. It's just the trainer, especially with Maker, who everyone always knows is very good with these turf routers. Yeah. And I had a terrible, terrible stat. It was like two for seventeen with two-year-old turf routers for this horse and for Catman. So that also kind of threw me off a little bit with this one. The firm turf, I think, is the key in here and the 30-to-1 price. This is not supposed to be an A horse. This is this horse is supposed to be in this race with 14 two-year-olds going around turf. is going to be a conundrum for anybody. This horse has got to be somewhere in the ticket if you don't absolutely just single Aiden O'Brien on, bat- on battleground or something like that. I agree. I think you made an excellent point of the trainer intent. of Maker put this horse in the with anticipation as a maiden. Horse wins is off the turf, so, you know, probably people were, you know, drawing a line through that. But I think that was a big sign of what he thought about the talent of this horse. I don't recall him doing that as much as some of these other trainers of putting a maiden into a stake. So that was a red flag, and then comes back. Probably got it all his own way in the pilgrim, but, you know, sometimes you shouldn't hold that against the horse. And at that price, it absolutely was a use. I will say this, too. Uh, the pilgrim actually ended up is actually going to end up being a pretty decent good race. I believe the second horse out of there, public sector didn't run terrible, but they did have a winner from Step Dancer who I think won the award or something last weekend. So now we have a Breeders Cup winner and a Stake winner. Uh, this this race could end up being interesting going down the line. I think that's something to key in on that the pilgrim could end up being a key race for other horses, whether they're dropping in class or staying in that same type of level. No, oh, absolutely. I think we should keep uh, keep an eye on a lot of those horses. Let's move on to the next race. It was race number eight from Friday at Keeneland. It is the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. This is a race that short in stature, but had a lot of good horses. I'll start out right off the bat. I had people argue with me all week about Princess Noor. I could never in a million years see this horse barely even hitting the board in this race. So, yeah, I understand that from a speed figure perspective. My initial uh, going into the week had had that uh read i thought this race and the classic were the two most loaded um races especially on the dirt i mean honestly outside of the asmussen horse i thought any of these fillies could win if you go through the workout reports all of the horses were working well these horses all actually was the big figure either for or either against and you know i'm a more of a figure guy you know i listened to um Duke Matisse on the uh, on another podcast, a competitor's podcast, but he made an incredibly compelling argument that, you know, visually how good she looked, how those numbers were very in- indicative of her talent. She'd been working well. It's Bob Baffert. The track was playing to speed. I ended up being talked onto this horse along with a couple others, but I understand the argument of um, – her and the speed figures being light compared to especially the Frisette. For me, this race was super interesting when you looked at it on the tote board as well. There was a bunch of horses under 10 to 1, crazy beautiful and thoughtfully were the only horses above, and they just always seemed to be the cut below. Then instead of making it a five-horse field, at least filled it out a little bit. Uh, Girl Daddy for Dale I just thought was going to be the main closer in this race, and if that ended up going super hot up front, this is going to be the one type of race where this horse will win, and it'll be due to a complete and total pace setup. Day out of the office, you heard people say in the Frisette maybe she needed it. I don't know how a horse can win a grade one off the break needing it. 
but that's what people were saying, that this horse had another gear somehow. I was not against, but it was one that I was definitely going to use as a contender. I was against Simply Ravishing at 5-2 to two for Kenny McPeak. I just thought the last race, 89 buyer, slow pace, just already it was within the scope of these other horses running 95 and 91, but with the slow pace up front, I would have to drop that as an ability figure down to like a mid-80, which kind of made her a little bit hard to trust in this. I jumped right back on the bus with Vquist. I just, Joel, the, the jockey switch, Robert Reed does really well. He had a horse, uh, Maximus, and I can't remember the last part of the name, but it was on the Derby Trail last year, this year. And just the slow improvement, 72 to an 83 to win a grade one by nine, and then come right back in a grade one and just lose to this type of horse. I knew I wasn't going to get four to five in this race. I knew I was going to be having a decent price. I couldn't believe when I saw six to one on the tote board. Uh, I agree, and I had the same opinion as you on Simply Ravishing. I thought with that rail draw, um, easy lead last time, I knew she wouldn't get the lead uh, coming out of there uh, against a couple of these others. I, I did not like her of the talented horses. Uh, I thought Girl Daddy was potentially going to be the one to pick up the most pieces if it got too hot up front, so I liked Girl Daddy. Uh, along with Princess Noor, I did use Vequist quite a bit. Um, I thought she was the one you really wanted uh, out of the um, Frisette versus a day out of the office. Um, I thought she would sit a better trip. Um, I like the upgrade, not an upgrade, but a different style Rosario, you know, being able to finish a little mm -hmm. better. Um, and uh, like you, I thought she had progressed in every one of her races. Um, strangely enough, that Parks race where she didn't win on debut, um, Marshall and I had a homebred in that race that was actually in a stake race on Friday at Penn National and PA bred. And, you know, neither one of our horses win, uh, get beat by the ante, but, um, you know, you never think you're going to be running against a grade one winner at Saratoga in a random four and a half for a long race at parks. So talk about a key race, but, um, I, I used Vequist quite a bit. Um, defensively, I used a little bit of day out of the office, but you know, my main uses were, uh, Princess Nor Vquist and a little girl daddy. Uh, I will say this too, and this is just more of me doing the class analysis. When I went back and I looked at the Frisette compared to the Alcibiades, literally in order, the Alcibiades had two maiden special weight winners that were on synthetic, a listed stake place, dual surface horse, and a grade two winner. Compared to the Frisette that had a grade two placed horse, a maiden special weight winner, and a horse that was three for three in listed stakes with one win. Then, including all the horses hitting the board for the Grade One, it just—it seemed to me like the Frisette was always going to stack up better than the Alcibiades. And also, when you look at it, it, the fact that Girl Daddy was ahead of Vquist kind of blew my mind as well. Yeah, I think you know, I think Romans—you uh, know—he catches some of the Kentucky money. I think the other thing that you have to think about a little bit when you—you know—you're comparing the class, but you know, the one turn, two turn. Um, the one question mark on these horses coming out of Frisette in these big numbers is. You know, how is that form going to translate to two turns? Um, if you look at Into Mischief, you know, it sometimes is a little bit lacking uh, when you're stretching out, you know, Nyquist with Uncle Mo, Mineshaft under, you, you know, I thought that horse might be able to handle the stretch up a little bit better and, you know, maybe also with the running style um, might be able to handle the stretch. But I think that's the one thing and the reason why, you know, the um, Alcibiades horses were, you know, supported was, you know, a win over the track and a win at two turns is something you have to consider. With your wagering, was it more Vquist, stay out of the office, Princess Nora, how'd you make your A's and B's in this race? So I made uh, Princess Nora an A and uh, Vquist and uh, Girl Daddy B's. Um, 
in pick fives and, and you know doubles. I did um, my major play, a major uh, well, my major play uh, two day was. I wanted to get live in the two day race to Monomoy Girl. Mm-hmm. She was, I think, a you know total shoe in in that race. So I did make uh, large uh, doubles with Vquist and Girl Daddy uh, in the Monomoy Girl. For me, I was hoping to make some money back on Vquist in this race. Just a really solid, heavy win wager. Let's see who the new leader into the clubhouse for next Kentucky Oaks is right now. They're off in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Vquist and Day out of the office. These two come to the front in the opening strides. Princess Noor is there up toward the outside, then simply ravishing is next, followed by thoughtfully between horses, Girl Daddy on the outside, and Crazy Beautiful at the back as the field moves into the first turn. Day out of the office, the leader. Day out of the office, clear with the lead, gets over toward the inside, leads at a length. Princess Noor, second ahead, just to the outside of Vquist, who's third by a length. Girl Daddy, fourth and neck to the outside of Simply Ravishing, who's fifth in between horses. Crazy Beautiful is in sixth and thoughtfully has shuffled out to last. 23.3 seconds, the time for that opening quarter. Day out of the office, the leader up the backstretch at Keeneland at the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. On top by a link, Princess Noor, second on the outside by a half length. Vequist is third, three quarters of a length. Girl Daddy, fourth up on the outside. Simply Ravishing, fifth in between horses. Just over three lengths from the front. Crazy Beautiful, thoughtfully at the back. 47.12 seconds the time for the opening quarter. Day out of the office. The leader by a length onto the far turn. Princess Noor is second. And then Girl Daddy, who moves into contention, a closer third now up on the outside. Third by half length. Vequist and fourth. They're at the quarter pole. Simply Ravishing is fifth. And she is still running some six lengths from the front to the top of the short stretch. Day out of the office. Opening up on a three-length lead as they turn for home. Vequist up the inside. Princess Noor is still there on the outside. Girl Daddy still far back with Simply Ravishing. Vequist is coming up the rail. Here's Vquist up the inside. Now to challenge Day out of the office. And Vquist just keeps on running. Vquist, Joel Rosario to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. And the number two, Vquist does turn the tables, paying 15-20 with a 93 buyer. What a ride by Joel. Uh, it was fantastic. You know, nobody uh, closes better than Joel. Uh, you get so excited when you see him on one of your horses closing in the lane. It was it was phenomenal. I don't know if you can still find it on Twitter. I think I saw it on Twitter, but there was legitimate cam footage of uh, him in that hole, and I still don't know how a horse fits in that hole, including the jockey. It was just it was a wonderful ride. The price to me, when you talk overlays, underlays, how this horse is six to one, and the longest of all the contenders, still shocks me. Thoughts on Princess Nora out of this race? Didn't prove the buyer up to a mid-80. Is this one that you think that maybe just the competition in Southern California was just so soft and now she's going to have to improve when she goes more towards the East Coast and the Midwest Coast? Yes. Um, you know, with these Bob Baffert horses, uh, you know, they do tend to make some big steps along the way. I, I wouldn't ride, ride her off, throw her out. Um you know, I'd have to go back and you know study a little bit about the pace. I know they went twenty-three and one and forty-seven. Um, you know, I'm not writing her off, but um, maybe I think the figure makers were probably onto something here uh, with her, at least uh, for the price. But uh, I, I will never write off a talented uh, Bob Baffert horse uh, as they improve going from two to three. When you see this race overall the ending with the result chart the top two horses obviously came from the the naira circuit 
the exacta came back some crazy price girl daddy kind of and this is what i thought i thought girl daddy was either going to you know run that you know third fourth you know get a check ends up running yep. ends up running really well in this race the buyer came back a solid 90 another improvement this is three straight races of improvement now there's an old buyer point of thumb in one of the books i can't remember the name of it now off the top of my head but once a horse improves three times in a row it's 71% likely that they will decline next time out. I don't know if it's the same for closers compared to speed types, but I'll be very interested to see if Vquist improves again. Obviously, down at the office, second time out, maybe that first race back was just a little bit too much. I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think uh, that'll be interesting to watch on that uh, Andy Byer theory on Vquist. I think the horse I want long-term out of this is Girl Daddy. Uh, I think uh, Uncle Mo, those horses are going to get better, and you know, they stretch these uh, horses out. That's the horse I want coming out of this race. When you look at it overall, obviously crazy, beautiful, thoughtfully, what are your thoughts on horses that kind of get thrown to the deep end without much of a shot? Are you more excited to see them when they drop back in class, or are you just kind of like, okay, this is the spot they were supposed to be in all along? I... <laughs> A lot of it depends on the trainer. Um, I don't like betting horses that were um, run in the wrong spot or, you know, over their head. I know McPeak does this a lot. I think sometimes you can teach horses bad habits. And I'm a big fan of sometimes, you know, you get a long shot that won three or four races in a row that, you know, horses, you know, either that you call the light bulb or horses learn to win. I think it's just the opposite too. Horses that can start to get beat, you can drop them down the class ladder and they'll continue to get beat. Um, I'll have to go back and watch her trip, but uh, generally I'm against those type of horses. Let's move into the final race of this podcast. It was the one that I think was most talked about for Friday. It's the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Jackie's Warrior going to try and cement his top spot as a two-year-old. What were your thoughts on the favorite? So I was dead against this horse. Um, I didn't like him at all. Uh, I thought if you look at the breeding of this horse, of all the dirt horses in the um, weekend, McLean's Music had the shortest average winning distance of anybody. The mare couldn't win past six furlongs. He had been loose in all of his races. He was going to catch, you know, a huge field here. You know, he had uh, Bob Baffert stuck to his outside. He had some of these other, what I would call, cheaper bred horses that were going to go. Um, I was against Jackie's Warrior. Um, as the race, as we got closer to the race and, um, you know, saw a little bit of potential bias, I did bet this horse a little bit just out of concern over, you know, horse getting loose. But um, I did not like this horse at all. Where did you end up going with your top selection? My favorite play of the day was Essential Quality. Um, I thought that this is the horse that if you projected which horse can improve in this field, I thought Essential Quality was it, had been training phenomenal. You saw the horse go from 69 to 88 from one first start to second start. I projected this horse to run a 95 in this race, and I was talking over with Marshall as we handicapped the, the day. I thought the 95 would win this race. Um, I thought Jackie's Warrior and uh, Chad's horse um, reinvestment risk would go backwards. I just didn't like them stretching out, as we talked about from you know in the in the girls' race. I did not like you know these horses getting two turns, um, and there really wasn't anybody else. I thought maybe um, Dale's horse, kind of similar to his filly in the last race, might be one that could clunk up and get a piece and potentially win. Um, but those really were the only two I liked in this race. 
It's so funny you say that. My only note for sitting on go on the PP says same as Dale's horse in the Philly race. It was kind of the same right, exact. They, it was those, the same exact those, feeling. Jack, exactly, and I heard a lot of people like like both of us that we're on both of these horses, not necessarily to win, but you know they you know they're both training well and both look to sit a trip. You know, and you know this race looked like it may have had more potential for pace meltdown, but you know both uh, you know should benefit from the uh, flow of the race. I went against one of the, and it's the thing we just talked about. How many races can a horse improve? This horse had already ran four improving races as a two-year-old, and I understand that the, you know, same as we talk about, you know, Nashville for the next day in the opener, that the sky's the limit for these horses. Is this horse supposed to run a 115 then and should have won the Classic as a two-year-old? This horse has got to have some type of, you know, knockdown value as a bounce candidate here. King Fury had three straight improvements. Next had three straight races of improving on three different surfaces. Hot Rod Charlie had four, but the first two were turf. So I just couldn't see how this horse was going to put another fifth race ahead that would, you know, be good enough to hold off some of these other horses that had run, you know, two improving races out a la essential quality. And just, I got talked into all the hype and I just, the speed bias and all oh, this horse is going to get loose again. I love the fact that you bring up the breeding McLean's music. I don't, I can't remember the last horse that's, you know, one going long like that, that I can even think of off the top of my head. Some of the other horses I had liked as underneath shots. I thought Rombauer on the way outside was super interesting for uh, Michael McCarthy. Obviously had won the races on the debut and then ended up in two straight stake races. The American Pharaoh, I understand it's a grade one, but out there in California, they usually just win a maiden and chuck them all in there, or even some maidens end up still in the grade one, which I don't understand. I feel like you have to have a win to at least be in a grade one. But two horses dropped out of that to break their maiden, Obviously, it's not a key race in a grade one perspective, but still horses winning out of races. I think you have to keep an idea of, I thought reinvestment risk, th this was going to be the race. Is this horse going to improve again? Or maybe it's going to show us that the New York races were just not that strong in general. The worst thing I did, I think, for the entire weekend or for the entire Friday card was I just didn't think essential quality could improve again. And I don't know why. I just didn't think that, I, I guess I just, was lumped onto Jackie's Warrior and just didn't want to switch it around. Essential Quality had every single chance to improve here, and I thought seven to two was just an absolutely ridiculous price after the fact. Well, I agree. The, the one pause I had on Essential Quality is we got. I mean, if we'd have bet this race on Wednesday, I probably was going to bet my whole BCBC on Essential Quality. The one thing that gave me a little bit of pause was that maybe you know this Tappet. You know, maybe it was a little short form that, you know, some of these two-year-old races, uh, you know, the way that they're run, that, you know, the stamina doesn't win as much. But, you know, I love Louie on the horse. I just thought that uh, – I just thought this horse, you know, was the one that made the most sense. King Fury, I know a lot of people talked about, you know, it's a curling that, you know, might – you know, should appreciate, you know, his, these longer races. But, you know, he was coming back on really short rest. Um, you know, I thought that really was a question mark there. And reinvestment risk. I, I understand the argument that he finally would not have to be in as much chase mode that he could sit back and make more of one run versus having to chase Jackie's warrior. But, you know, at a short price, you know, the upstart kind of, you know, made me, you know, scratch my head a little bit, you know, if you're going to be comparing upstart to this tap it, uh, you know, I'm going to go with the tap it and the hot trainer on the dirt uh, with Brad Cox. I mean, let's talk just in general. The four horses under 10 to 1. Essential quality, Jackie's Warrior, sitting on go, reinvestment risk. Out of all four of those, the only horse that 
to me, if you don't like Jackie's War, you can't like reinvestment risk or, or exactly the opposite. Sitting on Go has to get the perfect trip with a ton of speed up front. Essential quality gets the best trip here. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, he, and, you know, and had some great works. And, you know, on Rumbauer, I actually looked at your Rumbauer a little bit and was so intrigued by this horse uh, going in, you know, had a, a horse that could close, um, you know, did better going from turf to dirt. The one thing that gave uh, that really turned me off was in the workout reports had a C work in their mm. last work, and then the 13 hole with Javi. We talked a little bit last time I was on about you know my opinion <laughs> of Javi. That really put me down on this horse. But he looked on paper to be a horse that made a ton of sense that you know could make another big move you know second time dirt. Um, but you know when the horse wasn't training well and poorly posted, that you know cooled me on that horse. Where'd you go with A's and B's in this race, Clay? I went uh, in my main on my pick five. I did uh, five with uh, five is my A, and I did uh, I did nine as a B. Late, late, uh, I made a bet on Jackie's word just because of um, how the track was playing. I wanted to save myself um, a little bit in case uh, he could wire the field. But my main opinion was against that horse. But I got scared uh, based on uh, based on the day. For me, and this is probably the worst bet I made of the weekend, I just played Jackie's Warrior and Exacta over sitting on Go and Rombauer. Just try to include and just get some extra price into Jackie's Warrior in case he was the best that we all thought. Let's see who's going to be next year's possible Kentucky Derby favorite here in the Juvenile right now. In the Juvenile. There goes Jackie's Warrior out for the lead. There's Dreamer's Disease out showing early speed. And Classier is up close in between that pair. Dreamer's Disease striding forward for the lead as they move into the first turn past Jackie's Warrior. There goes Classier taking second. Jackie's Warrior shuffled to third. Likeable now moves up, takes over that third spot, boosts Jackie's Warrior back into fourth as they move around the turn. Next is in fifth and a break of nearly five more lengths as they hit the back stretch to Hot Rod Charlie. Hot Rod Charlie moves up on the outside into the sixth position around King Fury seventh. Essential quality back in eighth. Reinvestment risk is ninth. Calibrate is in tenth position. And then Camp Hope, who's eleventh to the inside. Rumbauer twelfth. A margin of eight more lengths sitting on go is far, far back. Next to last and keep me in mind is the trailer. It was 22.58 at the quarter, 45.31 seconds for the opening half mile. Dreamer's Disease, the leader, three-quarters of a length into the far turn. Likeable is second. Here's Jackie's Warrior moving up third on the outside around Classier and fourth. Jackie's Warrior now taking second, a length and a half off the lead. Further back, Hot Rod Charlie picks up several positions. So does Essential Quality, moving up three and five lengths, respectively, at the quarter pole within Dreamer's Disease and Jackie's Warrior as they turn into the short stretch, and Hot Rod Charlie keeps moving up on the outside. Hot Rod Charlie moves up to challenge Jackie's Warrior as the field moves off the turn. Essential quality is still third and still moving at the leaders from the outside. Final furlong of the juvenile. Essential quality coming forward for the lead. Late run from Keep Me in Mind. Hot Rod Charlie to the inside. Essential quality. And Luis Saez have won the TVG Breeders' Cup Juvenile. One minute, 42.09 seconds. And the number five essential quality does get it done paying 940 with that, like you had said, 95 buyer. Jackie's Warrior off the board in fourth. Now now we're hearing that this horse is going to be, you know, the best Pat Day Mile horse for next year. I mean, the horse is supposed to bounce a little bit in this race. And also the fact everyone's like, oh, here's the excuse. They, they only good on the lead. Sat fine in the maiden win. 
two off two off the top. Yeah. So I, I believe uh, I believe this horse is going to be you know a, a King's Bishop a Jerkins type horse next year based on the breeding. I do think that if uh, I own this horse. I think the horse deserves another shot at two turns where he won't be pressed so much. I think, you know, this race did collapse where they go 22 and 45, mm-hmm. you know, I think if you let him relax a little bit in a derby prep where it's not such a, you know, fight for the lead, he deserves another shot. Ultimately, I don't think it will work, but I think based on, you know, lack of sprint opportunities early in the year, um, that they should probably give it a try, but I think we might be seeing him in the Breeders' Cup next year in the uh, dirt sprint, trying to beat his stablemate Nashville. Uh, I will bring this up to keep me in mind. My, my friend Vinny had been on a podcast with David Cohen earlier in the week, and the reason Cohen wasn't on this one, but on Dreamers' Disease, they were just going to go to the lead with that one. He said, "Keep me in mind is ho- hopefully going to be his Derby horse next year. That this one should improve as he likes to go." I know everyone was looking at their PPs for Hot Rod Charlie. Who is this horse? Why is this horse here? Obviously, last time out, broke the maiden, was able to sit a little bit, uh, was life and death with blue fractions, not the overall usual winning thing you like to see. I just think maybe the light bulb angle hit, and this horse just all of a sudden just jumped up again as two-year-olds can do. And this kind of shows, you know, this is the, the momentum where Jackie's Warrior is not supposed to take an elite forward, but this horse, after winning the last race, maybe like, oh, I like doing that, and ended up, you know, with a halfway decent trip in this and ended up tripping out at 94-1 to to break up the exacta. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some things you can learn from this horse. I'll be the first to admit I didn't pay much attention to this horse, wasn't on any of my tickets. But go back and look at it. This horse obviously was very well thought of in the barn. Goes off its first four starts at, you know, almost even money, two to one, two to one, uh, and three to one. They put blinkers on. They get back to turf, or excuse me, go from turf to dirt. You know, uh, Oxbow, which is an awesome again over an Indian Charlie Mare. That is dirt uh, route. This horse is getting a route for the first time. Um, there were things to like here. Gap Leone, you know, top jockey in uh, Kentucky. Um, and O'Neill you know, likes to spring these big upsets. Uh, there were some things to point you to this horse. When you look at it overall, is there a couple? Obviously now, I think you're exactly right. Jackie's Warrior, reinvestment risk running so bad. I think these horses are going to end up like, uh, practical joke for reinvestment. Rick. That, that's just the horse that just instantly struck to my mind. I know he could do everything, but I just think that horse was always better as a sprinter. I think when you look through the whole field, I think Ron Bauer running fifth kind of shows how good he could possibly be down the line. But Jackie's Warrior finishing off the board. This horse will probably come back next year, win the first two starts, and everyone's going to see. See, the BC Juvenile was just one, one little mistake. The horse is allowed to have a bad race, guys. We shouldn't be making such a big deal out of the horse running fourth. Well, that's right. Um, I, I think he's still going to have those business limitations, but mm-hmm. he is a freaky horse. Any horse that can run a, a hundred buyers, a two-year-old, and you know make those leap forwards like he did in every race, he obviously has an immense amount of talent. I think the reason why people kind of left onto this horse was you know the, the the talent was obvious, but you know ultimately in dirt route racing, pedigree means a ton, and I think people overlook that time and time again. For you, if you want to just give a couple quick thoughts on Saturday, just what you kind of liked. Obviously, we had, we had talked uh, Monomoy Girl. Obviously, Whitmore coming back. It's the first time in the BC I haven't bet Whitmore, so I'm kind of kicking myself because I would have made my money back in more. But was there any other you know wonderful race that you saw from BC Saturday? So my main opinion on Saturday was I thought Monomo Girl couldn't lose. My BC-BC strategy was very similar to Marshall's. I wanted to get a 
you know, 10 to 20,000 before that race and double up through her. Unfortunately, um, I needed to get up earlier to get to a number. I thought the sprint was, I thought the sprint and the classic were very similar to me. They're typically straightforward races where, you know, American high end dirt racing, the form is pretty obvious. So I played the logicals in the dirt sprint and and large exactas to try to uh, move my uh, total up. Whitmore, who is a horse that I respect immensely. Um, My home track is Oakland, so I've seen uh, Whitmore develop. Uh, Ron Moquette couldn't be a better person, master guy, a lot of the stuff he's dealing with. I just didn't think Whitmore, at his age, with the way the track was playing, I don't know if I could have bet him at 150 to 1, but, you know, there was not anybody cheering louder when he was coming down the lane. As long as I knew my bets weren't going to hit, I was so thrilled for, uh, for all those involved. So then going to the classic, my, my main opinion was authentic. I, I thought that he couldn't lose the, that race. I thought he was going to be loose. Um, he was training phenomenally. Uh, I thought all the other, you know, I thought Baffert was going to win the race. I didn't think it would be Max Security. He wasn't training well. Improbable scared me a little bit with his gate antics. And ultimately, I thought a mile and a quarter for a city zip. I, I just preferred authentic. People got off authentic because of the Preakness. They forget that uh, Swiss Skydiver was sitting on the gold rail and he was off of it. I don't know why they got off of it. They had the chance to be on it, but he was against that race. Um, and, you know, you give Baffert an improving three-year-old and the best speed horse in the race, I, I really thought he couldn't lose. Uh, obviously, I had talked about it earlier Saturday, kind of kicked my teeth in. Uh, I had the early exact with Nashville. I should have just saved some money for Ternawa, which was one of my better opinions. Uh, in the classic, I ended up going with Tom Tata. I just, I had been talking about this horse since the last race where the bad step happened. Obviously, don't know if I could. I have to rewatch the race again to see what exactly kind of trip he got. But obviously, didn't show up. My fiance ended up betting authentic again, so now she's hit authentic twice in what appears to be like two, three months. So I thought I wouldn't have to hear from her again. But then, of course, she hits now, and it was funny. I had Nick Tamaro on his uh, wife, fiance. Sorry, Nick, if I uh, got that wrong. Just. Uh, also, it hit authentic, so now I wonder if she bet it, bet it back again. I have to text Nick and find out, but she actually ended up being up for the Brewers' Cup. I was down, so I got that. Now I have to stow in my pocket till next year as well. Well, I understand that. I understand that. Uh, the only other lucky good bet I made was uh, when I got knocked out of the pick five. I think it started with the turf sprint, but I can't remember. Uh, in the, um, the first leg of the pick four was the, the turf mile, and that was the most inscrutable race on paper. <laughs> Uh, especially after the fact, but so I did go all there in my uh, pick four and, you know, catch the 97 to one shot that probably should have been 500 to one. If you go back and look at that horse, I, I don't know how you could make a case for that horse in any logical way outside of Lasix on, but, um, you know, another interesting point for the listeners, the, um, in that race, the longest shots, you know, the long euros run one, two, three, were all Lasix on and all the heavily bet euros did not uh, use Lasix. So I still think that's such an important thing to look for uh, when these euros are coming over. So he's taking advantage of that. Um, I don't know if they're going to use Lasix next year in the Breeders Cup. I've heard uh, both ways, but you know, something to think about next year. That is all the time we have for today. Can't thank my special guest, Clay Sanders enough. Clay, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me on. Enjoyed it. Clay, where can people also find you on social media real quick before I let you get out of here? I'm on Twitter at C-H-S-A-N-D-E. On Twitter, um, 
you can email me at tenstrikeracing at gmail.com and uh, you can follow the uh, the Ten Strike Twitter handle at ten, uh, ten Strike Racing. Go check out Ten Strike. Go check out Clay. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks again to all the wonderful listeners for all the In the Money media content and to my special guest, Clay Sanders. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from all of this badness.